Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to The Final Curtain. Ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. I'm Shirley Welsh, host of Death Cafe Dunedin, where people meet in all sorts of places to drink tea, eat cake and discuss death. In this program, we break the taboo around talking about death and hear firsthand from New Zealanders about their experiences and their perspectives. So last occasion, I was talking to Shirley. She had turned 80 years old that day and she was looking forward to dying. It wasn't because she was depressed, grieving, sad or miserable. On the contrary, she was living life to the full, but she firmly believed that her life beyond this life was even better and she was eager to get there. Today I'm continuing my conversation with Shirley because we chatted so much last time we didn't actually get to finish it. So, hello again, Shirley. Hello, Shirley. Hello. Now, last time we were speaking, you were talking about the prospect um, of actually dying and you were mentioning how you would, what you would do if your husband were to die before you. Now, your husband... Arthur and you have been married for about 60 years. Yes. Now, what if he were to die before you? Are you anxious about a life without him? Uh, One of my daughters asked me that the other day, and I said, I'll I'll just carry on as I am going. Uh, um, This was years ago. I met this old lady, and uh, she came, she was on, she just came on Radio Rima. I don't know how she happened to even be there, but I heard what she said, and the light went on in my head. She said, I've been married, oh, so it was a very long time, longer than us, and she said, my husband has, has died, and she said, I am not going through any grief, and I mean, that's a very big worry to everybody when they lose somebody is the grief situation, and uh, she said, I'm not going through any because she said, on the morning of the funeral, I got back into bed with a cup of tea and I said to the Lord, here I am, Lord, I am now your wife. Because she said, the Bible says, and I know this Bible says very well, I will be the husband to the woman alone. And the light went on in my head, I thought, that's exactly what I'm going to do and I am going to do that. If I hear us has died, I'm going to do that very thing. And I feel I'm probably going to learn something else amazing about the Lord because I'm figuring he's so amazing anyway that to have him as as my husband, I just feel it's got to be infinitely better than an earthly man. So I've yet to find that out, but I'm going to put it to the test and I'm pretty confident that I'm going to learn new things. That must bring you a lot of um, comfort. Yeah, it does. Now, well, the fact that you, 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 when Arthur dies, if he dies before you, you're going to have another husband right away. Exactly. Yes. We know that. That's right. Now, you I mean, mean, hmm? 
You mentioned, well, no, do carry on. No, well, I'm saying uh, no one knows about these things to put them into practice. And so I would be, once again, um, trialling something to find it out. But I've got so much faith in the Lord that I think I'm going to be in for some more amazing excitement to tell you all about. Right, well, that'd be fabulous. Now, you you mentioned to me that there was a book that you read that really changed your life, and it was called Within Heaven's Gates by Rebecca Springer, and she wrote that in 1832. So can you tell me about that book and and why it changed your life? I'm absolutely thrilled and excited to tell you about it because that's the crux of the whole thing. Um, before that, I probably would have been more... I've always been keen to go because I do believe it's going to be miles better. But I would have been more into the category of, well, how's it going to go up there sort of sitting on a harp, you know, sitting on a cloud playing a harp type of sort of thing until I got this little book. And I, I found it in the hospice and um, I thought, oh, you know, do I want that or not? I brought it home. It's totally changed my life. Because this lady, I've been reading a lot of near-death experiences, and I, I've spoken to a lot. I, I had, and when I was only in my thirties, I had a I had a real sort of survey within myself of going around people that I greatly respected. I knew them well and greatly respected them. One was a, a Baptist minister's wife, and he had died uh, quite young, leaving her with some children plus twins of two. And um, so I asked her if she'd had any experiences of him, and she had. She'd had two very strong experiences. Another old elderly lady um, who I was in schools with for years, and, and she was very, very um, happy with her husband. He died, and she was just so depressed. These are long stories that are all, all we need um, padding out, which we can't do here. But... It was just so thrilling to find that they'd had these experiences. And I actually think that many, many people have had experiences that they don't speak about it because it seems wacky. And so I read books like, uh, I have to know that these people are authentic, like there's a Baptist uh, minister in America, uh, and he's written a book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, and he had a, a very big accident. And it's a long story short too, but he went to heaven and he didn't tell anybody about it for two years, not even his wife. And they said, why? And he said, well, I didn't know if anybody would think I was, you know, going a bit crappy, crap. And uh, I think a lot of people are like that. But anyway, this lady, this is the most, the the strongest one I've read. I've read a lot of media, I've read a lot of stories from that. But this lady actually went to heaven. Her brother-in-law came and got her. She was very, very ill, and she went. And she describes in that book, Within Heaven's Gate, you can hear it on YouTube. You can. It's quite hard to get the book alive. Managed to get some copies from a second-hand bookshop in, in Auckland, and uh, I guard them jealously. Um, I've got a lending copy now because my own copy is never leaving this house because it's it's just too important and inclined to lose things. And um, besides that, it's on YouTube, and if you Wikipedia it, um, it tells you all about this very gracious lady. She was a Methodist minister's daughter, 
and she was the one that had this experience. And um, and so this book is read on YouTube. And um, but in that she describes everything. She spent time like that. It is thrilling. It's absolutely thrilling. Um, my especially one of my daughters sitting here loves um, gracious, gorgeous, nice things, and um, and uh, anything that she likes or's got will pale into nothingness with the mansions in heaven. Huge, big, beautiful marble, grey marble floors with beautiful rugs on it. Huge, big library, everything. It's it's going to be sort of a continuation of here, only miles better. I, I know saying that is I'm, I'm a little bit reticent to even say that because uh, that's only me talking, but according to this, and this little book where she's explained, and she's obviously spent quite some time there. She wouldn't wouldn't know how long it was. But no, no. As far as I'm concerned, I'm living up there now. I used to say I've got one one foot in heaven, but now I say after that book, I say every bit of me is in heaven now, except one leg which is still on earth, and I'm on tippy toe. I'm waiting to go. So you can see to arrive at eighty and to be so well, even though I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. Um, a bit of a lead balloon, to be honest. <laughs> now, you mm. have described to me that dying would be going home. Going home yeah. means you've been there before. I think so. Do you have I that think... view? Pardon? Do you, do you think that you've been to heaven before? I think so. It's taken me a long time. And after, I don't know whether after thinks, you know, I don't know what he thinks on this. But, um, but as I've, as I've got older and putting things more and more together, I this is me. This is only me talking, so I, I don't want to be quoting anyone or anything or the Bible or anything because this is Allah me. But this is how I can't see it now as, as me. I think that we, well, we are spirit beings of that. I think we all kind of know that. And I think we were up there. Wherever heaven is, I think we were there. And uh, I think we've been sent down for this earthly journey and um, that we're going back there. This is a verse in the Bible that says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Um, so that's suggesting we were somewhere else. But there's another side to me that thinks that we were there because right in the back of your head which you can't actually reach it but it's waffling around way at the back and I think we have a strong feeling that we have been there and we've been somewhere else and everybody no matter what their beliefs are even if they're trying to um, sort of stamp things out everyone knows they're going and they all know they're going somewhere. And um, so, yeah, I think we've been there. And and then, so then I had to ask myself then, took a long time for me to sort of get that worked out, well, if we've been there and it's absolute perfection, why are we down here? Why do we have to suffer all this with all this, you know, dreadful? We don't know what's ahead of us. The world is in such a mess. Mm-hmm. And one of our girls sitting here, you know, she only gone through the earthquake, mm-hmm. huge in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Why are we down here doing that? And then 
I think this is all on me. I'm not quoting anyone or anything. It's me. Mm-hmm. And I think it is. So we are making a decision whether we want to go back. Because you think of your children. I always used to say about my children, please don't ever come and see me if you're thinking, oh, dear, we're going to go and see mum. I said, if that's how you're feeling, stay away. Come when you really want to see me. And I think that if the Lord is up there, which I know he is, and we, he wants to know he's got children that want to be with him. And so I guess when we're all up there, we're all captive audience, like when the kids are at home and they're, they're too young to get, make their own way in life, they've got to stay there. And um, But then later on they decide, are they going to... Uh, have you in their life where they're going to take you out and decide that everything you stand for is not. Um, that's their choice. They make their choice as to which way they are going when they get to an age of accountability. And I think, it seems to me, that some people, are, as, as much as it's surprising to me, some people are going to say, no, Jose, I, I don't want to go back. I, I think there will be some, but... Um, yeah, but um, I've certainly said I can't wait to get back. Um, yeah. But I want to finish. Uh, Alf is really strongly about this, even more so than me, but I am too. We want to finish in excellence. That's our desire, is to finish in excellence. Like our brother-in-law, that's just like he finished in excellence, and that's what we want to do. Right. Now, have you ever had any experience in your life that reassures you of your views, such as have you ever seen an angel, for example? No. Would you like to? Yes. Does it concern you that you haven't? No. No, not at all. Why is that? Because it's not up to us to make... Uh, we don't make any decisions for ourselves. We've given ourselves... Arthur and I, as, as from even teenagers, we've given ourselves to the Lord totally and we only want his will, what he decides will be best for us, and so we go with his will. It's not always as, as squishy clean as that, because, you know, you can, you can, sometimes you can dig your toes in and you've got a battle over it, but we always, this is what the Lord knows with me. I've got yes written on me, and he knows he'll always get there with me in the end, even if, it's a battle, and I'm sort of saying, no, I don't want to. He knows in the end up, he will, he will get me there, because I've got yes written on me 100%. Now, when it gets closer to home, in other words, to reality, where death is something that is very immediate to you, so, for example, you said that you'd had a brain tumour. Yeah. What, what was that like, and did that alter your view? Oh, I was ter- terrifically scary when we first found I had it. I mean, who wants to hear they've got a brain tumor in the head that had to come out? And I went down to Auckland to, it's a 12-hour operation, and I went, to, it wasn't malignant, it was um, it was a slow-growing, um, well, it's a, it's a tumor in your head. It's called an acoustic neuroma, and they have to go through, my, in my case, they go through, it went through my ear, um, and so I basically got no hearing in the ear. They went through the eardrum, although I know it's sort of 
Well, that's what they did. That's what they told me they did. And I've got a big hole behind my ear. And um, one of the specialists in Auckland, they they go, they burrow through your head till they get to it. And the other one goes in and breaks it up um, microscopically and brings it out. But when we went to see the first man in Auckland, Mr. Baber, and uh, went in there and he said to me, do you want to see it? And while I was beginning, I was sort of trying to think, um, I don't know if I want to see it. He didn't even give me a chance to answer. He just banged it on the, um, on his thing that brought up this scan and there it was in my head. And I'm looking at a black TV at the moment and it was black as that and there was this large, white, bright, white, because it was very large uh, so that was terrifyingly scary and it wasn't a good experience before we got there Uh, just the whole strain of the thing but uh, this makes no sense either but it's only the Lord after an ICA we've had a marvellous life together and so many things happened uh, you know with experiences of life and everything but we say that our time in that hospital was the most thrilling, exciting, marvellous time of our whole life of our entire, it was absolutely wonderful Why is that? Because for most people they'd think it would be one of the worst times of your life, you've been diagnosed with a brain tumour, you're terrified why was it exciting to be in hospital? Because we saw the Lord pour out his blessing in an incredible way. Um, now, make no mistake, it was a huge operation, and I came out of there. Well, that was another interesting thing. I was sitting up in well, I wasn't there. Yeah, I was sitting up in bed in the hospital waiting for it to start, and I heard that the Lord spoke to me. I don't hear big, loud, audible voices, but you know what he's saying when he's saying, and he said this to me. He said, I'm sorry, Shirley, to uh, having to do this to you, but I'm going to make it as easy as I can for you. Now, boy, did he fulfill that, because everybody, when they have that operation, they vomit for 24 hours, and I didn't vomit once. And when I came to, straight away, uh, when I was in recovery and in intensive care, um, I knew exactly where I was, I knew exactly what happened. In fact, my daughter was 30, the middle one, Linda, and... um, and she was a gorgeous girl and she had so much male attention but she kept saying to us, it's not the right one, Mum. And we'd always said to our kids, look, even if we don't think it's right, you listen to God and let God choose who you marry and do what that's what we did and it will work. And so we, she was 30 and I was exceptionally panicked about her because I knew she wanted to be married and I wanted her to be. And uh, so the very first thing I said to that nurse, a lovely nurse, and a lovely Christian nurse she was, and as soon as I opened my eyes, the first thing I said to her was, I've got a 30-year-old daughter, she's not married. That was the first thing I said. And it wasn't that I was hallucinating, it was the thing that was most on my heart. And um, but anyway, um, so I didn't vomit once, and they said to me within a couple of hours in in the intensive care, they said, look, 
we can't justify keeping you here. We've got to put you in the ward. Usually people are in there for ages, quite a while. And so I was in the ward. Now, I had a terrific job lifting my head because it was all bound up and everything. And so to sit up in bed, I'd have to get the back of my head and sort of force myself up, holding my head because it just felt my whole brain would fall out. And I'd lie down like that too. But we... We just saw, we ministered the whole time. We ministered in that hospital the whole time. Um, I'd only been out sort of one one day and I was still just lying there sort of very, very happy. I was in no pain and I was just lying there happily, but just happy just to lie there. And Arthur was down there. He stayed at the backpackers across the road. He was fabulous. He was always there. And... Um, the, the matron came down to me and she said, look, she said, Mrs. Johnson, she said, well, the girl down away from you here, she's having the exact operation as you, and um, she said that she's not, she's not going to go through it like you. She said, she's an absolute mess. She said, would you talk to her? Turned out she was 34 and um, she was a farmer's uh, wife and, um, and, um, she said, would you talk to her? And then she said to me, but look, please don't crack it up because she said, I don't think she's going to come through it like you. And that was because of her attitude. And Mr. Babe had told me in Auckland when he showed me a scan and that, he said to me, you will come through this because he said your attitude is so positive. And anyway, so I'm just lying there. So I said to Arthur, look, she was going through the next day. I said, look, could you get her to come up and talk to me because... I said, I, I just felt at that point, even though I'm never shy and, and I'm doesn't worry about me to open doors, but I felt I just don't feel up to it to go and project myself on her uh, when she hasn't asked. So I thought if she comes up and sees me, I know she wants to talk. So she did come up and we had a little talk and I said, hey, look, I'll be praying for you. And she sort of did a sort of a little sarcastic laugh as if saying, oh, she said, oh, thanks. To say fat lot of good that will do. But anyway, I did pray for her, and the next day it was terrible because I was waiting all day for her to come up, and she was down there, down there, down there. I said, when is she ever going to come? So it was late at night, and I said to the nurse, What's happening to that girl? She'd be just about to bring her up now. And she came up, and I could hear her vomiting. She was vomiting, reaching her heart out there for ages. And uh, anyway, so. She got back into bed, and she's in our ward, and she was just, her husband was sitting on the end so worried about her. She just, she just wasn't um, connected with life at all. She's just looking straight ahead, and he'd walk out. She would say nothing, do nothing, or she'd be lying down. And, um, and anyway, um, this went on for days, and... Um, she was in a very bad way. She was more or less out left, 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 left the place, sort of. And so one night I couldn't stop thinking about it. So at two o'clock in the morning, I padded down to her room, into her cubicle, and I pulled the curtain back and I whispered to her, I said, are you asleep? I called her her name. I said, are you asleep? She said, no. I said, look, would you like me to pray for you? And she said, oh, yes, please. So I prayed for her. Now look, 
and this was this was the story of our whole time down there. There's about five or six situations similar to this, but different. And um, the next day, Arthur came and got me, and he took me down to the chapel because it was Sunday chapel service. So it was only the next day, and we came in the main doors, and I saw her husband. She's sitting primly on the chair, and he's stretched right out along the bed with his hands behind his head. And I, I didn't even know him, and I yelled out, "What's all this?" And I, I, I said, "What's all this?" And I called him a, a sort of a name, and I said, um, "I said, is this a takeover?" And I yelled it out from them, and there they were. And I heard him when he went out the ward. I heard him say to one of his mates, "He said, oh, everything's okay. Mum's back. Mum's back in the real world.'" And I tell you what, the lady just across the way from me, she had her, her young kids sitting on the bed crying and everything. Mum, mum. She'd had the operation, but she was out to it, away, away. And the nurse came, she said, look, we're going to take her out. She said, um, because we've got to yell at her out in, in another room, see if we can get her to come back. And the kids were beside themselves, crying on bed. And I lied, and I thought to myself, Hmm, wonder what's wrong with that lady. I was just thinking like this. Wonder what's wrong with that lady. And then I thought, hmm, she's lost the will to live. And suddenly I said to myself, surely some woman has lost the will to live. And I dragged myself up and I prayed for her. Now, the very next day, I mean, it's almost like these are exaggerations. They're not. We were there. Next day, I walked down the corridor. She's sitting up in bed. Kids on the end of the bed, and she's missing. Hmm. So to say God doesn't answer prayer. And so when I say I'm going to make him my husband, I tell you what, I have got huge confidence, and I think I'm going to have a story to tell people that maybe haven't tried it. So when you were in a situation where you could have died, were you looking forward to recovering and remaining alive? I was still a lot younger then too. Uh, How old was I? 50. It was 98 and 94. So um, I was still a lot. I think I was only 50. About the age of my kids now. So um, I wasn't really thinking about death, but... I certainly um, wasn't dreading it or anything. You've also mentioned that there was a time that your daughter Robin was really ill and you feared she might die. Did you have the same attitude in relation to her? In other words, did you think, oh, well, if she dies, she's gone to a better place and and it's a joyous thing? Oh, oh, gosh. And I wouldn't think that now. I don't think any mother would think that. So what did you think? I mean, well, they're so precious to you on earth. I mean, what do you pray? You've got children. You pray about you. You. You don't. Every time they're out in the car or whatever, you or you know, when they're doing anything, they're playing. Your heart is in in your mouth, more so to speak. I mean, you've got to get on with your life, so you're not living in that that sort of mode. But your mind never leaves them once you've got. Once you've got children, I've heard it said, once you have children, your heart is walking outside your body. And that says it perfectly. So no, if Robin had died, I would never have got over it. I would still be 
thinking about that child that died, and um, I'd be I'd be holding on to my beliefs even more than ever that she's in heaven and that I will see her again. I'll be holding on, and I, that would have been far more important to me then than it is now. But um, mercifully, they're still all here. But things can change at any moment. But no, 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 I wouldn't be thinking. Oh well, that's good. She's gone to the gone to the place I'm longing to go to. I know I wouldn't be thinking that, but I believe that she had. But and and I've also been hearing lately that all these little aborted babies and that they've gone straight back up there. Sometimes I think, oh gosh. I almost wish I was one of those, but no, because it's not it's not good for the mothers, you know. So no, yeah. Surely for a person who describes herself as someone who looks forward to death, you are remarkably alive and full of life. And it's been absolutely fabulous talking to you. So thank you so much. Well thank you. It's been a real privilege, Shirley, and um and, and it's just very interesting, very exciting change in the road which you never expected. How would I ever expect to be doing this with you from Dunedin that I've never even seen you? <laughs> and it's just lovely, lovely journey. You've been listening to The Final Curtain, ordinary New Zealanders telling their stories about death. Podcasts from this series are available online at oar.org.nz and from the accessmedia.nz app. At Death Café Dunedin, the conversation continues. You can join that conversation by listening to other New Zealanders tell their stories about death and, if you want to, by sharing yours. Look for Death Café Dunedin on Facebook for updates and meeting times. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.